0: It, it definitely takes some adjustment to, you know, notice that there are, it's like two different data flows, but a single tree. And I think that, that is uh, that is not, you know, that, that that is not obvious the first time you try it, I think it takes a little adjustment. And you also kind of learn some patterns of how to deal with it and like how to, uh, I think what I've heard from a lot of people who spend some time with it, really, and, and, and kind of, it's like, at some point, you just get it kind of in your brain. And then it even becomes rewarding to be like, oh, it makes sense. Like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to thread this thing through here and thread this other thing through through here. And I think the, the analogy that, like, comes to my mind is learning Nichan. You know, like when you, like, you learn, like, a knitting pattern where, you know, you have to take the needle, you have to, like, put it through this hole, this other hole, this other hole, and you have a pattern. And I think it kind of feels similar in that, like, at first you're kind of clumsy, and then it really becomes, like, a second nature, and it just makes sense. And, And you start noticing this, like, adoption, for example, with adoption strategies, I think a big one is, again, like, people kind of think of, like, I have a client app, you know, it's, like, from server components perspective like all existing react apps today are like fully client and so you think oh i wish i could like try to swap out this uh, leaf component like at the bottom of the tree with like a server component but that doesn't work because well like how does it know which props to receive if it's a leaf and so the things being passed to it depend on state potentially so there's just no way for it to run ahead of time and so the the adoptions like you can adopt server components incrementally but the adoption starts the other way around it starts from the top so what you do instead is like you have your entire client tree and so in the server components model that's actually a valid server components app if you imagine there's one server component at the top that just returns your root client component and so it's kind of like a tree where there's one server component the rest is client Again, it doesn't mean that it ups out of server rendering. Server rendering is completely unrelated. Server rendering still works. But it's just you have this one one component at the root, and then you have this use client directive that says uh, the module graph below, like this is where we cut it off. This is where the server part ends, and everything below is like it, it can run on the client. But then gradually, you may be, you know, like I'm going to like, you kind you of think of this like, as a way to create some skeleton or some structure for your app, where you say, like, maybe I have, like, app component at the top, or, like, I have, like, a profile page component, and then and the rest is client, but then later you say, okay, maybe I'm going to have a profile page component that composes a profile cover and profile details, and maybe that contains timeline and about. And then the rest is still client. So you kind of build out, like, a little skeleton where you can do data fetching at each point and you kind of pass, pass, pass like, async things down. And so you kind of gradually, like, lift uh, the, like, you kind of move those uh, pieces where you uh, transition from server to client world, like, further down the tree. But you also don't have to. So the thing that sometimes people think of, like, use client is uh, some kind of, like, an escape hatch or some kind of a bad thing. But it's it's really about you're supposed to be able to use as much or as little of either side as you want. Like you can build the entire page with server components. You can have like one server component at the root and the entire page is client, or you can kind of like mix and match them and and nest the, you know server components into client components and the other way around. And so it's it's it really like as long as you follow the rules, you're not gonna you know it's not gonna allow you. Like well, one way I've liked, uh, I was on some Twitter space, and I've liked this. Uh, at the start, it's like server components uh, make client server waterfalls a compile error. Like that's that's kind of what it does, and I think that takes some adjustment because we're used to accidentally introducing this server client waterfalls with use effects and so on. But it's 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 really just a, a more efficient, and I think it is a clearer model once you. Uh, you know, let let it settle a little bit in your mind.
1: Yeah, I think there's also probably some some different ways of writing uh, your your uh, client components to kind of work more naturally with server components. Uh, so, for example, um, you can imagine a uh, a tab component that receives the list of tabs as as uh, as React children, right? So now the tab component. It's interactive. It keeps track of which what is the currently active tab. Forget things like you know you probably want to actually do like route. Maybe you might want to integrate with a route, but you know keep, keep consider just a simple a simple tab component. Um, it's going to keep state about which tab is selected. Well, there's no reason that the uh, but you, just because that tab component has some client-side state, it can take children that are server components and that were you know um right. And so you're if when you structure your components in this way, so you're imagining tab component right, a server component can render the tabs, but it's also passing it a bunch of components that are that are uh, server components. Those server components are evaluated on the server, and then the kind of rendered output of them is passed down to the client to render inside this tab uh, component. And when you have your kind of design components structured in this way, it allows you to to like have a lot more flexibility and say, oh, I don't have to, you know, I, I have a tab element that needs data. You don't have to go and rewrite the tab to somehow work on the server, that's fine because you can lift that tab uh, that tab component and to be a server component without, without breaking the, the kind of model so once you start thinking and use, really using react children uh, in that way, I think you get a lot of flexibility to have these apps that are almost completely uh, server you know you could you could if you need if you want to have them be almost completely server components while still having kind of sprinkles of interactivity kind of around them without uh, breaking the rules as Dan said.
0: I've seen this referred to as a donut pattern because it's kind of like this this client you know this like in this example the uh, the tab bar or you know the tab container component. I think when we think of components, we usually think of like rectangles, right? Like we think of this like piece of the screen is a component. And I think what server component it's it's not a new thing. So like we, React has always supported this. But this pattern has become so much more important in the server components world. Is like, think of like, where do you draw the hole inside your components? Like in the top view component, in top container component, you have tabs and then you have a hole for the content. And so this lets you, or, you know, some frameworks call them slots. In the React, this is called like props that children, uh, but it doesn't have to be called children. It could be, you know, anything that's passed from above. But this is why, like, I'm talking about knitting, right? Like this, like, put the needle through the, uh, like, through the hole. It kind of feels similar in that you think of your design system components as having holes, and that lets you fill them in with more server component uh, content from above or client components. So it it gives you this flexibility, uh, but you do need kind of to think, uh, you know, to, to think of, like, which components are donuts? Where do I want to leave a hole?
2: So for me, the key understanding here is the fact that client components cannot pass props into server components. So you can have a a server component embedded within a client component, but it needs to get its props from a server component. It can't get them from the client component.
1: Right, because you're not, that example, children is props, right? So yeah, you can pass server components that are, in in the children prop to a client component exactly yep.
3: But then I've but then how does that affect you know there was this statement earlier um, that you can't import a server component into a file that contains client components. But if you wanted to pass a server component as a child to a client component to props dot children, you would have to import it in the
1: right. So so imagine so imagine you have uh, uh, let's say like the the root and it's going to render a tab uh and then it's going to render um you know uh, a few different profile pages as as the tabs right so you have the 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 root component is a server component um the tab is uh you know is is going to use use client because that's that's a client component it has state um but the the root component is going to in its you know it's it's going to return tab and then within that it's going to say you know uh Uh, Profile, you know, profile details, uh, profile, profile, you know, uh, photos, timeline, right, as like different components. And it's the root component that is the one that's importing all of tab and timeline and photos, right? It's that's the that's where the import is happening. Um, And so, so it's not that the tab component is actually importing those those elements. And that's why it works out.
3: Right, so it's the root import, that makes
2: sense. Yeah, so the component, to render children, the component doesn't need to know what, what its children are, I think is the right. basic thing that you're leveraging.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I think this is a really common pattern. Um, I mean, like, I'm thinking back to, if for folks who, like, maybe I'm, I'm dating myself by thinking about, like, Rails examples, but, like, you know, I think it's it's pretty common to have uh, routing solutions that have, like uh, like, a, like a, a layout, Right, like layouts are, I think are, are pretty common in, in like nested routing solutions where a route can have like a, a slot that the, the kind of nested content goes into. And so this is kind of taking that notion of like layouts with uh, like the kind of dynamic slots and, uh, and, and saying you can kind of use them anywhere in the tree separately from your routing solution. Right. This is kind of like the, the idea that, that Dan's like, you're, you're describing with like the, the donut pattern, right? Like that really is like this, the same as, as a layout, but you can do that anywhere, right? A tab. Is like
2: that as well. But so one thing that's kind of missing for me in, in this, and I, I've seen a tweet that you tweeted a while back, Dan, about the fact that you kind of uh, want to see server components kind of replacing API use, as it were, in, in, uh, in React applications. Uh, that it's just the server components themselves that use the external APIs, but from that point on, it's just props all the way down. Uh, and I totally get that. But the one thing that's kind of missing for me with it, with this vision is how do I handle mutations? I mean, with the unidirectional data flow, I, in client-side land, I handle mutations by passing down functions that I can then call back up. But I can't do that with server components. So what's the mutation story?
0: Oh, he can't do that
2: yet. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> this
0: is this is a part that we uh, well, I guess like by the time this episode comes out, it's actually uh, well, I, I don't know what the schedule is, but it's 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 it will likely be available in some form. But we're currently uh, that is what we're working on now is uh, this ability, uh, we're calling that server actions. So uh, we want to make it possible to um, pass a function uh, from a server to the client. Uh, it's, it would have to be annotated uh, with a use server directive. So it has to be annotated that this is something you want to expose uh, because uh, it would otherwise be uh, like unsafe to you know expose arbitrarily callable functions uh, from the server you don't want to do that uh, but if it's something that you want to expose as um, it is similar to RPC so there are some popular solutions for RPC now uh, we don't think RPC is a good solution for data fetching so RPC isn't like, and the reason is the same as, uh you know, if you do RPC for data fetching, and for those who don't know what RPC is, it's when uh it's remote procedure call is like an old term, but essentially it just means you call a function on the client as if you know, as if it exists there, but actually behind the scenes is gonna talk to some like server NPI endpoint that's like generated automatically, and then it's gonna call like the actual function on the server that you write. So like RPC is this concept of like, I'm going to call a function, but actually I wrote it on the server and there's some layer in between that kind of translates it and make sure that like the types match and that it actually works. It's called a marshalling layer.
2: That's it. the old t- terminology from the old from the 80s like when, or 90s when I used okay, technologies yeah. like DOM and CORBA and stuff like that. Uh, okay. Yeah, this is what goes around comes yeah. around.
4: <laughs> but this actually... For sure, for sure. This brings up another, I think this is an important point. I I think most people aren't very good at architecture. I think most businesses don't have a good architect. I don't think I've ever seen someone regret developing their API and then fielding it with their front end or their mobile app to be able to know that it works well. But I have seen terrible, terrible, terrible spaghetti mess time and time again where people try to map the, the way the backend will send data to the way that it's going to be used in the view. And then when they need to grow or scale the functionality or the accessibility to third-party partners or whatever of their application, they're, they just got a steaming pile of spaghetti poo because they were so focused on the view rather than the API.
0: Well, I think that's just. Uh, I, I, I think it's a slightly separate topic from mutations, maybe. But if if we jump into that, um, we're not really taking anything away, right? Like, I think the you can still build an API if that is what you would like to do. You can call that API from your server components, and you know you get to define what that API is. You can even keep that API private at first without exposing it. You know, to the entire internet, uh, right away. Uh, so this is something that you can do. Uh, the question is, I think like from this perspective, the question is like, should you have the option of not building an API and just using your data layer, your model layer, whatever layer you have directly? Like, should you have that option? And we think yes, of course you should. Like you, you know, you have that option in. Server centric, like you've always had this option in all server centered uh, frameworks. Like they don't force you to build an API layer with all concerns of like, uh, you know, specific uh, how, how to build it. But then if you want to build an API layer, you can certainly build it later or you can like institute a policy. Well, like, can we, you we always build it build
4: later though? Can you really build it later? That, that's that's my my concern is if, if so much of the focus is on render 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 then then you know the, the shape of the application will take the shape of the render rather than the shape of the logic uh, uh, of how things are, are are oriented
1: yeah well I mean well to be clear like certainly you can build an a, a separate standalone API for your for your backend so if, you, if you're for example if you if you're starting okay. off, well, I mean, what I'm talking about practically
4: what I'm, I i get that yes you, you can rebuild a new server from scratch and interact with the database but then you're going to be copying all this stuff and then you know. so this is what I'm, I'm just saying I think this is a, a peril to focus too much on the renderer and not consider what the API is going to be because yeah you yes of course you can rewrite your application but you can't just add an API on top once you've built all of, you know, this type of, it, if you've built your API to the renderer, you can't just add an API on top of it.
1: Well, I mean, I, I guess it, it kind of depends on what API you're thinking about. So, for example, if you're if you're if you're a startup and and you and initially you're creating a website, um, and you know, uh, and you build you know you build a, a React server components app, um, and you've got some services behind the scenes. One nice thing as, as Dan kind of highlighted is that you're not forced, uh, if you, if you, if, if you don't want to, you're not forced to kind of expose your initial kind of internal API to the world before you're ready. You could start by just building your app. Um, when you get to the point that now, for example, you've got a mobile app, um, or you want to start exposing your internal, you know, actually exposing a, a more, a, an API for other consumers, not your app, right? I mean, by all means, you can create a standalone, you know, API. I think what you're getting at is maybe the kind of, uh, you've you've got do you, is there a sort of business logic layer that is developing inside of your next app? And you're you, what you're getting at is that you want to like reuse some of that for this other uh, API? And you know that's obviously a question of um, just you know factoring out that logic so that you can make it reusable. But uh, I, I don't see how it's really. It does. It feels like, if anything, it's kind of giving you more choice and more options, and not really taking anything away. But maybe I'm missing something.
2: Also, to add to that, it seems that a lot of the other frameworks are not only doing this, but doing it substantially more. I mean, if we're looking at what Quick does with the server dollar, and also Bling in the context of uh, Solid, for example, for them, like uh, like Dan said before, it's it not only is it the main way in which to invoke server-side functionality, it's also the way to actually get, you know, the preferred way to get data from the server. And in the context of Quick, it's even a a way to, you know, if I want to log something on the server, I can do it that way. So they really encourage it in a way, especially given also that there's like no separation of, of files. It's all in the same file. And I think you're kind of, forcing this separation. So I totally get what you're saying, AJ, and I'm I'm totally on, on 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 the same page as you are. I'm just saying that it seems like, you know, we are we're heading this way whether we like it or not.
4: I'm not saying that we shouldn't have the ability to render. I'm I just I feel there's a great caution Okay, you guys are big brains. You can probably start a project and know what you're supposed to do and have the right separation concerns. But there's there's not any guardrails or encouragement. People are going to tend towards PHP, right? And it's going to end up being. I mean, you. I don't know how much React you guys see of you. Know, what the little people are are doing. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure that you work a lot with the big companies, but I, I don't know if you see what goes on at the small, medium-sized businesses because they're probably like really far below where your skill level is and where, you know, but, but I mean, it's, it becomes PHP eventually, you know, it's, it's like, if you look at some of these React apps that people are creating, and this could go for anything, right? It's not necessarily just React, but I mean, the, 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 the there, there's so few separation of concerns. And that's kind of one of the things with the React movement was, hey, throw separation of concerns out the window. We don't need separation of concerns. But that separation, that, that lack of separation of concerns kind of starts on the front end. And as it gets closer and closer to the back end, it's more and more difficult to end up selling that product, right? You want to relicense that product or you want to you want to sell your company. And you have to go through due diligence and the, the you know, it, Obviously, this is a problem anywhere, right? But if you took Rails, for example, you could sell a Rails app. You could, you could, you could grow a company on Rails, and you could sell a Rails app. There's a pattern. There's prescribed separation of concerns. And if somebody needs to go in, unless you just you hate Rails and you're doing it completely wrong on purpose, you're gonna fall into the pit of success with Active Record. And yeah, there's gotchas and whatever, but you fall into the pit of success. Where if somebody needs to take your application and expose it to third third parties or retool it for white labeling or whatever, they're going to fall into the pit of success, and that's where that that's kind of the distinction I'm trying to draw is that, you know, yes, if somebody is super expert, no, they don't need any handholding. They could take something uh, and and they can create good out of it no matter what. But by definition, ninety percent of people aren't expert. So that's why I'm, you know, I'm kind of saying it, it, where's, where's the help for the average developer to be able to end up with something that can be sold or can be integrated? Do you get what I'm I saying now? I does that make sense? Does yeah, that, does that clear? I, I can,
0: I can try to answer this. I think, um, like a part of it is just we, um, I don't like the distinction between this like big and little or, you know, Small. Well, you brain, might not, but it exists. Please let me finish. Um, the, the, because like, for example, like at Facebook, uh, like I've seen some of the worst React code in my life. Like I think you're really overestimating, um, you know, it's, it's, and it's not because like engineers are like stupid or something like this. It's because like, People work on different projects. They don't always have the context. They don't always, uh, like sometimes you have like somebody who works primarily with backend, but they need to write some front end code or the other way around. Like they don't know, uh, sometimes like project, uh, you know, requirements change or like frameworks change. So it's, it's pretty natural that like some code is messy. And I think what we, you know, on the react side, uh, we don't really like the paternalistic prescriptive approach of, you know, here's uh, here's a capability that makes sense, but we're not going to give it to you because you're not smart enough to use it. Like, I think we we, we don't like this. Uh, I think we, you know, if if we think it makes sense for, you know, your user interface tree to resolve asynchronously we think it makes sense as a concept on the React layer. And then from that, it necessarily follows that you would be able to, you know, uh, either like call your data layer that can be, you know, ORM. So that's not too far from what Rails does. It, you know, it could be something, uh, you know, on the framework level, uh, for example, like you could build a framework on top of React server components that is maybe more opinionated about the way use structured data and then it would like force you to expose everything as an api uh but because we think that there are many valid use cases where you don't want to build a generic api and in fact uh server components like one of the inspirations is um just kind of realizing that uh the uh like you could make a mess on in either direction like if you put push everything to the front end, you can make a mess there. If you write like a beautiful API, but it doesn't actually correspond to the shape of what the re- you know what the renderer needs. Uh, and that, like we've seen that a lot uh, where you, you can safely like remove something from API because you have no idea how it's being used uh, uh, and, and so on. So we think that we, you know, we don't want to limit that ability. We actually like want you to be able uh, like to to make choices there, and then we think that the developers like, yes, you can make a mess of out of it. And by the way, a lot of pretty big products were made with PHP, and people were able to figure it out. And then there's a lot of spaghetti code in the React code basis. But one thing that's I think a very uh, like important from the pres- like if you're worrying about spaghetti code in particular, um, one thing that's important. Like if you if you compare Spaghetti jQuery code and Spaghetti React code, there is one big difference there, and the difference is composability. The difference is that in React you can uh, take a piece, like you can take a component, you can throw it away, and you can like you know remove it, and it it defi- it usually doesn't break anything, and that's because the the data flows down, and so you can you know you can take a piece, you can replace it, like you can rewrite the component. To take the same props, and then and then it works, and so it lets you kind of you know iterate and uh, you know. <laughs> I, I think maybe Ryan Florence uh, had this read about like it let, React lets me uh, you know fill a bunch of boxes with garbage, but then it connects these go- boxes in a way that makes them makes them swappable, and when there's a problem, we can actually replace it. And server components preserves this property where. Yeah, like if if you make a mess somewhere, you can replace that part. Uh, But I think uh, kind of more guidelines about how to do like API structure, like all that kind of stuff. This is something that frameworks can enforce. And React Server Components is not a framework. It is uh, kind of a tool for frameworks.
4: There's a difference between enforcing versus making it easy and clear. And so that's one thing I didn't, I'm not trying to say that it should force something. I'm saying that as you come into it, you know, you begin to fall into the pit of success. I'm all for escape hatches. I'm all for libraries that say, here's the function that does everything with the defaults and usually does what you need. And then here's the four functions you need to call if, you know, that the defaults don't work and you need to get low level. I'm all for that. I love that.
1: I would just call out, though, that I think it's very easy in, for example, Rails uh, to fall into the mistake of putting uh, too much logic in your controller when it should have been in a model, right? Um, right. Where it's, uh, oh, wait, I why am I repeating myself in this other controller? Like, because it turns out that actually that was like really just like more business reusable business logic that should have been in the model layer. Like, sure. I think the reality is that any, that any solution is going to make it easy or even to have like a tiny bit of logic in your template. Cause I, if I recall correctly, ERV still let you put like, you know, still let you put a little bit of logic there. Right. Um, that well um, yeah like and actually still technically kind of worked right like yeah. so th- th- there were and, and 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 like even like what data val- like what properties of of the record are you fetching is like is actually logic that's sort of being simple like but the point is you that can it, it, it yeah.
4: Yeah, you, yeah, can you can always get always it wrong yeah I agree you can always get it
1: wrong and I think and in, and in particular like the like the the model versus controller was like an incredibly uh, easy easy thing to to, to like to, to mistake like to mistake in in, in in the Rails world and and I think in in, in very in, like similar MVC systems. So I think like there's like, there's only so much we can do there, but I, I think it's really about, um, giving people the capability. And yeah, like I would be great to see, uh, that, you know, we've seen things like, um, uh, somebody from Expo, I forget, was it, I think it was, uh, might have been James E. Day, uh, who like worked on, uh, and, and others who worked on, uh, a version of the, the Facebook end system. So end is a framework, a framework we have internally that uh, makes it easy to do data loading but with kind of attached um authorization like can this can this user see this object right is it things something that, that's often um kind of missing right um and then literally every single piece of data that you fetch off of that so you for example, you get a user and then you want to see their posts and connect them like can i see their posts right and it's just kind of walk the, the graph like it's doing all the correct uh checks and so um folks at, at Expo released like a JavaScript library. Like, it would be great to see more things like that that are helping to make like kind of really good scalable data libraries for JavaScript. We think that that should exist. Um, and we think that server components would be totally complementary to that, right? But again, how are you going to build those things if you can't easily fetch
2: data in your so React and components? And I wanted to add on right. top of yeah, that, it, I, think, I think a key issue here is that React server components are so new and and untried and you know i I have this talk that i'll be giving where i look at the various ways to deal with uh, the cost of hydration and i present react server component as one possible solution and one of the downsides that i list is the fact that first of all you have to learn and understand this new technology and the fact that this new technology is not battle tested yet. You know, a lot of these patterns that we're talking about haven't been figured out yet. You know, maybe React Server Components is doing something in a way that's not so good or less optimal or could be done better. You know, the React team have shown willingness to turn things upside down when they feel that there is, you know, a justification for doing so. So I think I just think that, you know, time will tell in this context. But I do have another question here. And Dan, you repeatedly referred to React server components as a specification in the context of React, more so than an implementation. And per my understanding, the the one and only implementation right now, well, I know that there are some experimental experimental ones out there, but really the only, you know, working implementation, I guess, is Next.js. So my question then is, is Next.js effectively the future of React? Do I have to use something like Next.js or specifically Next.js if I want to be able to use React to its full capabilities and potential?
0: Yeah, I can can try to answer this. So um, I think it is uh, like on the specification versus implementation side, it's uh, it's a little bit blurry because uh, we actually do provide some of the implementation pieces on the React side, but um, not all of them. So the parts we provide are the parts that um, interface directly with React. So we provide the thing that executes your server components, uh, kind of like the renderer, and we that, that render produces our protocol that lets us stream uh, a React tree from the server to the client. So that's, uh, we, we basically provide the thing that like runs them and serializes them. And serialization is actually like what triggers execution of server components. So that's, that's why like if you render, you know, a top container and then you have like a profile tab inside. And so as we serialize the response into our protocol, We're like, oh, this is like a tab container. Um, It's a client component. So we need to tell the client how to download it. Like, where is the script tag? You know, where to get the uh, JavaScript chunk to download the code for it. And then we're like, okay, now we're going to pass, you know, now we need to serialize these props so that they can be passed. And so as we serialize these props, we're like, oh, this child is like a piece of JSX. So we're going to assume it's a server component. We're going to run that. And so, and so that's that's why it's possible to nest uh, server components into client components uh, because of this like serialization process. And so, we provide the piece that does the serialization, and we provide the piece that does the deserialization. So the protocol is not like something that any you know anyone needs to conform to or know about. It's really an implementation detail of React, but we provide this thing that. Uh, can, uh, can read this protocol and construct a React tree out of it. So we provide the thing that executes server components, and we provide a thing that kind of turns that output into a normal React JSX tree that you can that render, and that's basically how it works. Um, but then the pieces that we don't provide are uh, you need a bundler integration on a pretty deep level uh, because server components is kind of a futuristic architecture that assumes a next generation bundler. So it doesn't just, you know, rely on what exists today. It's also kind of our vision for what bundlers should be able to do. And to give you like a sense of, uh, you know, the um, kind of the gravity of this step is like, it's, I I think of it as like, um, the things that we want from a bundler are on the same uh, level of, uh, you know, advancement as, Uh, code splitting uh, was an advancement compared to uh, always, you know, uh, bundling everything as a single file. So like in, you know, 2007, maybe, like, I think, like, uh, I think maybe Google had, um, like, GWT or something like this. Like, maybe that was one of the first, I'm not sure, but I think it was one of the first production kind of implementations of code splitting. And it slowly made its way into open source. So like we've seen, you know i think a require.js there used to be this bundler uh that that did not have code splitting but i think uh browserify maybe had it and like webpack i think is the one that brought the concept of code splitting really to mainstream uh with require.ensure and like this and later you know it got it became a specification with this like dynamic import syntax that gives you a promise and then behind the scenes the bundler actually generates a chunk whenever it meets the dynamic import and so server components kind of uh, in server components that part is the specification part so uh and it's it's conceptually it's very simple it's just that there's this directive called use client that acts as a split point so by default the uh, the module graph starts on the server so you know your code doesn't get, uh, you know, into client bundle at all by default. And then the moment the uh, the module graph meets a use client import, that's a client entry point. So use client doesn't mean you need to like add it to every single component that executes on the client. That's that's not what it is. It's really the boundary. It's like where the server kind of enter. It's like the door to the client world. That's what use client is. And and so we uh the bundlers need to be able to kind of uh use this use client entry points is like, oh, this is where a client tree might start, so I better create chunks for these parts so that they can be, you know, that, that the client can download them and later uh it's it's kinda of similar to dynamic imports, but it is tricky because uh it need it means that the bundler uh kinda needs to Know about your server module graph ideally as well, because it needs to know. Oh, here's a use client that I kind of reached as I was traversing the the server graph, and I'm going to need to tell you know that there's uh I need there needs to be a client bundle for it, and so we we see this as like a next generation feature for bundlers where it's not even specific to React like use client thing. It, it's not about components again. It's really about bundling, uh, and we uh, I think like TurboPack is the only bundler right now that uh, implements this completely natively, so it's like it's a first, like TurboPack was actually designed uh, to treat server and client graphs as like first-class concepts. Uh, I know that there are plugins for, uh, I think, for Vita, for ESBuild, uh, with, yeah, I think Bun is also building first-class support, but there are there are different attempts to like build plugins for existing bundlers uh, for example like Next.js doesn't ship Pack by default it uses webpack by default and then webpack uh i think like it i think it uses well i'm actually not sure if it uses webpack or uh s- some other thing but uh in existing bundlers you can approximate this uh and like it kind of works but it's not the most efficient way to do it and so this is part of like why it's um, you know, if you wanted to make a server components framework today, uh, you kind of need to be a bundler engineer because you need to solve this problem. You need to design the next generation bundler or you need to design uh, an integration into existing bundler that was not designed with this in mind. So you kind of have to hack it in. And like Next actually, uh, you know, like fully uh, fully uh, is implemented this fully. And we, we also see some people in the community Experimenting with like making it work with ES Build, making it work with Vite, and so on. And so I think with time, like we'd like to see more server components frameworks that uh, can take full advantage of it. Uh, But I think we will see more of that when there are ready-to-use off-the-shelf bundlers that just have this as a built-in feature. So it actually, you know, you don't need to reinvent the bundler. Because the other thing, like, if you want to make a full server components, uh, kind of framework integration, you have to, uh, solve routing, bundling, and like rendering. And so we only give you the piece for rendering. We give you a specification for bundling and deployment. And then for routing, you kind of have to figure it out and deployment. Yes. So, like, you also have to sh- think about, like, how, you know, how are you going to avo- avoid like version skew? And other to be fair, I th- so it's just a big project.
2: Yeah. To be fair, I think that the future of of front end development is the quote unquote meta frameworks, which I like to joke and say that a meta framework is any framework not created by Meta. Um, but uh, but be that as it may, yeah. I, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, Ryan Cognato, the creator of Solid, likes to say that Vite is kind of uh, raising the the floor of bundling that of what it means to build a meta framework because it gives you bundling out like a boxed solution for bundling. So I'm guessing if somebody does create an appropriate uh, plugin or whatever for Vite, that would kind of solve that problem. But you would end up using a meta framework either way, I'm guessing. I I doubt that people will just be shipping solutions on top of, you know, Vite and nothing else. Maybe they will. I don't know. But it seems to to. Unlikely to me.
0: I'm not not sure that VIT is like best positioned for this. Um, I think partially because like in in this architecture, you really have like the server graph and the client graph. And I don't think VIT has a concept of two different graphs, like talking to each other. And also, of course, like from VIT's perspective, that's just like an unproven idea. So they're not rushing in to implement it because like it's not standard. And, you know, that's fair. So, and the other thing that's really important is routing. So, like, Vita doesn't really have any concepts of routing, uh, you know, from its perspective. There's just, like, one output, uh, and you could have, like, you could layer it on uh, with, like, a framework built on top of Vita, uh, but... I, I don't know if it's sufficient, mm. you know, so I, I think that is something that is something we will see and maybe Vita will like evolve to be
2: yeah uh, sufficient it's interesting i've I've heard people like looking at Astro as it were as a sort of the evolution of Vita, of building other meta frameworks on top of Astro. I think that solid, for example, solid start is actually uh, going to be implemented on top of Astro as it were. In in that sense, so it will be interesting to see where where it leads. But I, I do have one short question, of which which is kind of related to what we talked about. You know, per my understanding, currently you can only put use client at the top of the file, and that designates the entire content of the file as a as a client side file. Why can't you put use client in the middle of the file so that from that point on to the end of the file? That would just, that would be the client part, uh, stuff. And so you could put like the server stuff at the top of the file and the client stuff at the bottom of the file. Why, why this need to separate between files?
0: It's, it's a bit, uh, I don't, I don't, Joe, Joe do you want to take this on?
1: I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like, I, I think a lot, I think a lot of this comes down to you. We can, we, like, I, I, th- I don't see why we couldn't in theory make that work. Um, but. That was one of
0: the earlier proposals, actually. Yeah, like, yeah, actually. There we, was we, a proposal exactly like yeah. this in like 20
1: and 19. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, the original, like, from like, uh, or, or even earlier, yeah. Um, but I think part of it is also things like code review. Um, you know, you often, in a code review, so so there's basically making it harder to mess up for developers so that you know exactly what is a server component, uh, you know, what, what code is exposed to the outside, you know, to, to the world, and, and what is like, you know, safely um, server-only callable. Uh, I think is, is pretty important. And when you think about it, it's it's a it kind of maybe seems silly at first, but think about code review, where okay, somebody's adding a new call to some like kind of sensitive uh, function, and you just see like you know the, the standard GitHub you know UI for like for or or, or you know code review uh, UI for for that change. Is that in a server? Is that server or not? Right now, I've got to go expand the whole file and like look upward and see was there a use? You know, was there a use server or a use client here? When it's literally at a file level, it's a lot easier to check. Now again, you still might have to go check like the very very first line of the file or whatever, but it's a lot easier when it's at a, at a per file basis uh, because you you really don't want to have, you know. Uh, functions that are that are not meant to be exposed to the world accidentally exposed because of these types of of mistakes so i think there's there's some kind of just balance here um and also doing it at a, at, a, at a file level i imagine makes it a lot easier as i can just imagine how i'd be implementing it right at a file level is probably a lot easier for the for the bundler uh so i think a bunch of considerations there might be more that i'm missing but uh, those are the ones that, that kind of immediately come to mind
0: I would, I would slightly, uh, I think I would slightly like amend that. Um, I think with, so I, I think we've kind of actually walked back on some of this thing because like early on, we were thinking of like, you know, it's super important, like in pull review and so on. But I think that actually sh- shifted, um uh, because, uh, like, it, like in the current model, you actually can't tell. Like when you look at a component, you, because like not every client, you know, not every component that executes on the client actually has the directive. So like the directive is not something that you put to say like this component is is a is like runs on the client. It, it's really contextual. So like if you're if this component is imported from a tree that's like already on the client, then it will act as a client component. And if it's like a component that's imported from a tree that's like already. On, kind of like the module graph is already on the server and then by default it's assumed to be on the server and i think like the way our thinking has changed there is um it's really not so much about like when you look at the file it shouldn't really matter from like react perspective like where does it run uh you're it's more like working with types because when you make a mistake you get immediate feedback on like what the mistake is so, for example, like, if you start with a component, it's just a function, it doesn't have any, you know, special features, and you're like, I want to add some state to it. So you don't use client at the top at this moment. You just use state, you know, you just add some state. And then, you know, if you don't get an... and you, Like, you get immediate feedback from your development server. Like, I think in Next.js case, they have, like, a TypeScript plugin that does it. So it's, it's the same kind of live feedback as you would get from TypeScript. Uh, so if you're already like in a client uh, graph then you don't need to do anything else you're fine if this component is in a server graph uh, then it will say hey like this is a client feature uh, and it doesn't exist on the server so you need to add use client somewhere but it doesn't mean in this component necessarily it could be anywhere in the parent module graph so for example, if you're like, you're you're like in this text field component, you just add a state to it. And it says like, you need to add the use client. Next actually tells you, you can use it, add it to text field, or you can add it to like, uh, you know, checkout form, or you can add it to like checkout page. And maybe you're like, this checkout page is like mostly client side logic. I'm just going to, sl- you know, slap use client there. And then I don't think about this at all. Uh, Or maybe this text field is used, like, in different places, and then sometimes you you would add it. So there are these decisions. And then, like, with server-only logic, you know, if you kind of, like, have a database call, well, your bundler is just not going to let you, you know, (laughs) import, like, MongoDB on the client because it's not going to let you bundle it. But then the the way, you know, if you don't want to leak secrets or you don't want to, you know, you don't want to expose a bunch of, like, uh, things that, like if there are things you never want to be bundled, we have a mechanism for this that is separate. It's uh it's a special package called server only. So if you just have like import server only, it's kind of like a poison pill. It's like that will not that will prevent it from ever getting like in into a client bundle and let and letting you ship that. And so that's what you put into your credentials file or like any files where you're like you know, features you haven't released. Like that's that's one of the cool cases about server components is you can use it to gate features which you want to do not leak uh, the fact that they exist. So as long as you only like gate, uh, you know, you add server only so that you don't mess it up accidentally and like put an import in the wrong place. Uh, but that is a poison pill. And so I think like the, like these kind of things together where you, mostly you just, you want to add a feature, you just add it. And then if you get the feedback that actually you can't do it in this part of the tree, you're just going to rewire the tree a little bit to, you know, to resolve just like you do with types. When you like a different type of this thing is passed, you either fix the thing that's passed or you fix the type. It's kind of similar. But then the reason you can do this in the middle of the file has more to do with, um, like in a single file, you uh, you kind of expect uh, like a single execution environment, so like you expect that you can share variables between them, and it gets like really confusing if you like you have a function call, like you have some variable, and then it, like either you can't use it below, or like you don't know, you know how how that is going to be shared. I think right. that 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 is where it gets really confusing, and so we settled on files as the boundary. By the
2: way, is there a use server?
0: Yes, but not for what you would think it is, because people would think that use server is uh, so it's not. It's also like not in a release piece. So this is why you don't see it. Um, because again, like you might think use server means make this a server component. But again, that's not how it works. Use cl- If you think of like use client, that's not the marker of the component. It's a place in the module graph where you cut off the client tree. It's like a door from the server to the client. And so by this logic, what is use server? It's the door from the client to the server. So your server is the thing that lets you do mutations, like in the future. It's like, it lets you import a now function from Now I get the it. You, t- you mentioned it possible. before,
2: now mm-hmm. I remember. Okay, now, now the penny is dropping. Yeah, excellent. Yep. Yeah. So one thing that I'm wondering about with
5: a lot of this is, um, does any of this stuff work with React Native? Um, I mean, we're, we're talking about components and things like that. A lot of the rendering happens on the phone, just like it happens on, on the web. Some people are using React Native Web,
2: so I think that the Blue Sky is using React Native Web. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the new hotness. Yeah,
0: so we we, we don't. Uh, well, in in principle, it is designed to work with any React renderer, and um, it's actually a little bit uh, like server components are inspired by many technologies. But one of the inspirations is our internal native frameworks. So at Facebook, we have frameworks that we use for native apps uh, that are like, you know, we use React Native for some parts. uh, But actually, like one of the things that is very limiting for React Native is that it doesn't let you drive the view logic from the server right now. And we have an existing solution that does. So we have an existing mobile framework that is similar to server components, but for native, and it's not—it's not in JavaScript. Like it's—it's it's in Hack, so PHP. Um, but it, it is, uh, it's, it's like part of why we know this this architecture works, because that's actually what we use for a lot of our uh, native code. And the um, like, we would like to extend this to React Native. We're not working on this right now. But kind of in the in the big model, of course, like we'd like, you know, React to let you target all platforms without compromising mm-hmm. on like, uh, you know, like the same, I feel like there's there's this uh, React ethos of like, use each platform for what it's best at instead of the lowest common denominator. Right. So this was always this idea behind React Native is like, we don't just build a cross-platform thing where, you, you know, you have like a component that looks the same way on every platform, but is not actually using the platform features. No, we want to give you like a way to use, you know, iOS, like you get all features like iOS text field, like Android is like Android text field. Selection works natively the same way that it works in native apps. And I think server components kind of applies the same idea to the split between client and server, because it's like, you don't run the same code everywhere. It's like you run the things that work best on the server on the server, run the things that work best on the client on the client, and we just give you like a way to combine them, and we'd like to bring that to React Native as well.
5: Yeah, that that sounds about right. I mean, as far as things go, right? I mean, sometimes you can render some of the same things across React and React Native, and sometimes you can't um and so yeah i mean the idea that yeah i put a server rendered thing you know component up there and you know if i have a proper renderer on my back end that can turn it into whatever the android or iphone app uses yeah there's no reason why it couldn't do the same kinds of things i'm not sure that
2: it's allowed in, in the context of licensing i'm not sure that apple likes you rend- rendering depends. on the server um,
5: I've seen some things you can get away with, but yeah, that's usually actually in a web view, not in a native and view. So
0: it's, it's tricky, but, uh, I think the part that's, uh, that, that is disallowed is like kind of hot swap in native code. Right. But with, I think the boundary between like, what is like, what does it mean to render on the server? Like you don't add any new native components with behaviors that, you know, Apple can't check. It's just orchestration right. of the components that are already on your device. And you think, like, you know, there's this gap between, like, I'm returning some data or, like, I'm just returning the UI tree of, like, process data. It's it's not really such a big leap. It's just you do a bit more work ahead I'm
2: of not time. trying to make any sense of the Apple rules. <laughs> yeah, well, and...
0: Don't take my uh, words. Uh, yeah, as, some of that remains yeah. to be
5: seen. Yeah.
0: You you need to invite some people from Apple and maybe they will tell you. Yeah.
5: All right. Well, I think we're getting to the point where people actually need to pull off. We kind of went over a bit. Um, And I think somebody just tried to come in because Xfinity is probably here to look at my internet. So um, let's go ahead and do some pics real quick. Um, Let's have just start us
3: off. Awesome. Um, Do you mind explaining what pics are for?
5: (laughs) (laughs) In that case, it's just shout outs about whatever. Unless
2: you don't want to go first.
5: (laughs) Dan can go first. Unfortunately, I
2: don't really have that much in terms of picks (laughs) this time. Um, uh, You know, I will say this. um, uh, One of the great things about participating in conferences is that you get to, if you can, then you can do a bit of traveling and sightseeing. Uh, I'm heading out at the time of this recording to a conference in London. Afterwards, we'll be touring uh, in, in southern France and that should be lovely. And then about a couple of weeks afterwards, I'm going to a conference in Portugal and then of course we'll be touring in Portugal. So I, so my pick is, you know, go speak at conferences because you can do a lot of sightseeing afterwards and these countries are beautiful and it's uh, highly recommended. Um, other than that, uh, we watched uh, the TV series on Netflix called Beef. Uh, we loved it. It was so wacky and out there. And somehow I could crazily relate to all the characters there, although they were pretty extreme. But, but still, uh, you know, sometimes you watch you watch shows and, and you know, they you get disinterested because you can't relate to any one of the characters there. Here we just, you know, we were binging it because everybody was, in a in a weird way, so relatable. So I highly recommend that uh, TV series. And those would be my picks for today. Great, awesome. Um,
5: Tages, go ahead.
3: <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for teaching me that, Dan. Um, so about conferences, huge pick. I was just at React Miami, um, in case you can't tell, and. Um, definitely a huge pick a lot of people have been complaining that a lot of the talks weren't about react but i think these people kind of missed the point that react is an ecosystem more than just a library and so there were some fantastic talks about css and and their applications for our web apps and i actually kind of liked that it was so community driven and focused it was a great time and also the sightseeing in miami and so on was was very nice so plus one to that um we've also been watching Beef, um phenomenal show um I would, I have two picks really, um, shout outs that, that I think are worth appreciating. Uh, Blue Sky, I got access today and like, it's tremendous. The the capabilities of this quote unquote alpha, I don't honestly think it's an alpha. This is the best alpha I've ever used in my life. Um, the engineering quality, the way things just work reliably, some, th- some parts are even more stable than twitter.com. Uh, so absolutely love Blue Sky. Um, and then the other pick that I had is a, a beautiful book, um, that has just helped me a lot because, um, I, you know, I, I, um, I, I tend to have interest in, in mental health psychology as navigating my own mental health, but also things like motivation and addiction and things like that. And there's an awesome book called the molecule of more, um, that has just been fantastic in understanding kind of health and how we how we find motivation? Where does it even come from, and things like that? So the molecule of more uh, fantastic book that I've I've kind of been exposed to lately, and it's just been changing. So a by, lot of the the, ways I do.
2: by the time I return from vacation, will anybody be left on Twitter, or will any everybody would have already moved on to uh, Blue Sky? I don't know. It's getting that it's getting that critical mass, um, and the
3: their head of developer relations just opened her account, and I'm already like talking about like how can we. Get an API because I would love to create some type of open source. Like I post to Twitter and then
2: automatically goes to Blue Sky. And at some point I can just, I'm doing, that with, post to yeah, I'm doing that with Mastodon, by the way. The, the, everything that I tweeted yeah. or, or also posted to Mastodon.
3: Yeah. So anyway, I, I won't uh, take up too much time. Those are my picks. Um, yeah. I, will, I guess we pass it around. I'd pass it to um, Joe. Yeah.
5: Well, I need to go next because I need to go see if my kids trying to walk in here were. Go for it. The Xfinity technician before he runs away. Um, real quick, I'm going to throw out a couple of picks. My, main, or my board game pick this week is Iberian Gage. Um, it's another one of the train games, kind of like Irish Gage, which I picked before. And uh, yeah, it's a little different because you buy stock in the company and then you spend the company's money to build the trains. And uh, yeah, then you kind of tally it out at the end. Um, So it's not a terribly complicated game, but it does have some unique uh, gameplay um, elements to it that I really like. So um, I'm going to get the uh, Board Game Geek uh, rating here, and then I'm also just going to shout out... uh, Yeah, it's a weight of 2.32, so easy casual game for people. Um, The other thing I'm going to just shout out about is that I am doing the game dev... Uh, meetups on Thursday mornings at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. So that should be doable for people in Europe as well. Um, And uh, yeah, we're just working through the course and building games and then we'll see where it goes from there. So those are my picks. Uh, Dan, why don't you go next?
2: I think, think, Dan, Um, you have to go next because you're getting progressively darker and pretty soon you'll disappear on us.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah sure uh yeah actually yeah I wasn't sure what the what to put in at the beginning but now now I have a better idea um so also shout out to beef we started watching um my wife and I and I want to give a shout out to another show called white lotus because we watched that one before and we were really like we wanted to have something that has like a similar i guess like mood Vibe. And I think it it, it, it has some, some, yeah, like it has this vibe of like you kind of like you don't find characters like you don't necessarily like find them very nice, but you do really like feel for them. And you kind of see each like they all have a point, like they, they all have some kind of perspective. Uh, and I think that like if, you know, uh, bo- both White Lotus and Viv kind of have that in them. Um, so we, we really appreciate that. Um, also another shout out to Blue Sky. One thing I want to specifically call out there is it, it has this feeling that like they know what they're doing, which I don't get with Twitter anymore. Uh, and specifically like one of the first things that I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's such an obvious decision in retrospect, but your blue sky handle is a, uh, it's kind of like a domain. Like you can have a, uh, you can, if you own a domain, you just verify it and that becomes your handle. And it's just so obvious in retrospect that this is how, you know, we already have a system for verification. It's not like pay, you know, seven, like $8 to Elon Musk. It's like pay Elon, pay $8 to GoDaddy. Uh, (laughs) But I mean, it's just nice that it's portable. Yes. And like, a lot of people already have it. And that that was like a design decision that I was like, oh, it seems like, you know, they're doing something that, that actually like has some sense. And then the UI is actually nice. And uh, I mean, they're, they're still like working through a bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty excited about the build, the people building it. And yeah, sh- sh- shout out to Blue Sky. Uh, I want to give shout out to Terrence Dow, who's like a, famous mathematician. Um, but he, he wrote a book that I've been working through for the past, like, maybe year and a half. I'm still in chapter five. So I'm like, uh, in the beginning, but it's called Analysis. And if you ever wanted to kind of learn math from first principles from scratch, you know, without assuming any university education, anything like this, uh, in a way that's rigorous, and that kind of just like explains how math works almost from like a programming perspective where, you know, if it isn't written, then it doesn't work. Uh, So this this book gets you from uh, like axioms that are necessary to establish even like, you know, zero is a number, like one is a number and so on. And then you're forced to prove literally everything. So like there are exercises, like you have to prove like A plus B equals B plus A. Until you prove it, you can't use it. And so I've been doing this like for the past year and a half, and it's I do this kind of for fun. so I'm, I think I've done like maybe a hundred exercises so far, uh, but it's it's just a really nice way to understand how mathematics actually works. Um, and I think maybe maybe that's uh, I think that's it for my base. Mm-hmm.
2: I studied so, this stuff uh, in logic you know, in in the university, and it was pretty hard. It's surprisingly hard to prove the basic stuff.
0: Yeah, it is. That's cool.
2: Sounds Um, like fun, though.
5: All right, Joe, what are your picks?
1: uh so i've been playing uh so you mentioned uh board games so uh Dragonimo uh has been a hit with i have a six-year-old and a two-year-old and so it's really hard to find a game that like the like three of us or the four of us if my wife plays can actually play together because the two-year-old like can't you know she just like grabs things and destroys but like that game is just simple enough that she can like with a little bit of help actually like place tiles and like get drag, you know and she loves like getting dragons uh and like picking you know getting to pick the egg so it's like perfect for if you have young kids uh, and are looking for a board game that's a fun one Trigadillo uh and then I've been learning guitar and uh trying to wrap my head around like the basics of music theory and like scales and stuff it's just been a very different way of thinking totally different from programming so it's a very nice like way to just uh just escape um all the stuff that I'm usually thinking about and just like uh just just kind of it's almost like meditative, like just like me, guitar, music in front of me, and trying to make it, trying to like actually replicate what I see there. Uh, so that's been a really fun experience. That's all hmm. I got.
5: That one's not actually on Board Game Geek. Usually I can find them on there and tell people about how it is. But yeah, it's definitely looks like it's a kids' game. So. Yeah. 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 There are a lot of terrific kids' games. I've picked some of them on the shows too. So if you're interested you can actually just dm me on twitter or something. Oh cool. I, yeah. I I'll you a whole bunch. Awesome. But yes. Yeah, yeah. Um cool. Well, thanks for coming guys. This was super awesome.
0: Yeah, this was great. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. I learned a lot. Yeah. Thank you for inviting We'll
5: wrap it up here. Till next time folks.
2: Max Bye. Out.